You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. And we begin with a Global News exclusive. The mayor of West Vancouver, Mark Sager, is being investigated by police. As Catherine Urquhart reports, the trouble began with a campaign financing review by Elections BC. Lawyer Mark Sager is mayor of West Vancouver. He was elected just over a year ago. Now he's the subject of a police investigation. Port Moody Police told Global News, I can confirm we are conducting an investigation on behalf of Elections BC. In a separate statement, Elections BC said, We identified potential spending irregularities during a compliance review of Mark Sager's campaign financing disclosure statement for the 2022 general local elections. Elections BC says it initially asked the RCMP to investigate. The file was then forwarded to Port Moody Police. Details of the alleged spending irregularities are not being released. Also, BC Prosecution Service says it will neither confirm nor deny any police investigation or appointment of a special prosecutor. Earlier this year, Sager was issued a $200 fine for failing to include an authorization statement on election campaign materials. Sager was also issued a citation from the Law Society alleging misconduct in the preparation of a former client's will. Global News requested an interview with Mayor Mark Sager and have not received a response. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. After countless delays and postponements, the trial of the man accused of killing a young Burnaby teen in 2017 is finally in its closing stages. And a warning, some of the subject matter is disturbing. As Romina Dea reports, in a packed courtroom, Crown and Defence are laying out their cases in final submissions to the jury. A powerful moment in courtroom 53. Crown counsel Daniel Port calling for a two-minute moment of silence, which felt like it would never end. The significance? Ibrahim Ali strangled the team for at least that long with his hands or another item wrapped around her neck. The only reasonable inference is Ali sexually assaulted and killed the teen, said Port. Crown told the jury the girl was forced off a pathway in Burnaby Central Park, where she dropped her pink wallet and phone. Then Ali, a 27-year-old stranger, forcibly sexually assaulted her. A pool of his DNA found inside the girl. Her partially nude body discovered by police in the forest in July 2017. Only two people's DNA discovered, Ali and the girl, said Port. Crown told the jury it would be speculation to suggest some unknown person did it without leaving any evidence. Port said the scene itself, but also the injuries to the genital area, prove beyond a reasonable doubt the young teen was sexually assaulted. Ali's lawyer, Kevin McCulloch, cautioning the jury, Ali is presumed innocent. Your decision must be about the cold, hard facts, the actual evidence. Your decision cannot be about emotions. The evidence against Mr. Ali in respect to the allegation he murdered the teen is non-existent. McCullough says the only thing Crown has proved beyond a reasonable doubt is that Ali and the teen had sex. The forensic pathologist could not tell whether the injuries were consensual or non-consensual. 
The case, circumstantial, zero direct evidence. Ali murdered the girl. No one saw or heard anything. If Ali was guilty, why didn't he get on a plane and leave for Syria, where he's from, said defense. McCullough told the jury there was immense pressure on police to make someone pay. Defense is expected to conclude closing arguments Friday. Justice Lance Bernard will give the jury instructions next week, then deliberations. Ali has pleaded not guilty to first-degree murder. Romina Dea, Global News. The woman who tried to kill her rival inside a B.C. courtroom has been handed a 12-year sentence. Catherine Shen was convicted of four counts, including attempted murder in the attack on Becky Liu in May of 2021. The two women had been locked in a bitter civil dispute that started as a spat on social media. Shen attacked Liu inside the courtroom with a hammer and knife. Liu suffered serious wounds to her heart, lungs and head. Crown had been asking for 16 to 18 years behind bars, while defense argued for six years. After credit for time served, Shen will serve eight years in custody. Police are investigating a targeted shooting in Burnaby. RCMP responded to multiple reports of shots fired in the Brentwood area shortly after noon. Police tape was seen up around a black pickup truck with a number of bullet holes in the windshield. Amazingly, police say there are no reports of anyone injured. The truck was parked on Dawson Street between Madison and Rosser Avenues. RCMP are also looking into whether a vehicle found burning a few blocks away on Maple Crescent a half hour later is in any way connected to the shooting. A public hearing recommended a transit officer be dismissed for beating a man at a SkyTrain station. But because the Police Act process took more than a decade, his discipline is much lighter. As Kristen Robinson reports, B.C.'s Solicitor General calls the delay more than excessively long and wants this addressed in reforms already underway to the Police Act. Nearly 12 years after the Police Act process began, a transit police officer finally disciplined for abuse of authority by recklessly using unnecessary force on a UBC student. Constable Edgardo Diaz-Rodriguez suspended for two days without pay. The adjudicator stating, if not for the serious delay in this matter, I would have proposed, at a minimum, a much longer suspension. I think the amount of time that's been taken, quite frankly, uh, is just unacceptable. Decisions should be made quickly, um, as the classic line is, you know, justice delayed is justice denied. Despite a six-month time limit for Police Act investigations to be completed, this one dragged on for years after the victim was tackled, punched, and then subject to a brutal beating at Rupert Station in August 2011. Diaz delivered 10 baton strikes to the man's head, neck, and back in nine seconds during an arrest over alleged fare evasion. I knew like this is a fight or flight situation that has got hit so many times that I thought I was going to get like beaten to death. Diaz was charged with assault causing bodily harm. He pleaded guilty in 2016 and was sentenced to 12 months probation. The discipline authority substantiated the unnecessary force allegation, which Diaz admitted, and proposed a five-day suspension without pay. Further disciplinary proceedings followed before a public hearing was convened. Do you regret that night? Council argued dismissal would be appropriate if not for the delay, and instead Diaz should be suspended for 20 to 30 days. Diaz's council said a five-day suspension would have been suitable, but with the delay, there's no purpose in any discipline. In deciding on a two-day suspension, the adjudicator noted Diaz was placed on administrative duties for six years, 
losing tens of thousands of dollars worth of potential overtime and missing opportunities for promotion. Significantly, he and his spouse decided not to have more children because of the ongoing financial uncertainty while these proceedings went on. I want to make sure that uh, in the future, uh, these kinds of uh, uh, issues do not drag on for as long as they have in this particular case. The victim, whose name is protected by a publication ban, says the penalty is too weak and he wishes this was all resolved much sooner, adding it's contradictory to have a convicted felon working in policing. Kristen Robinson, Global News. B.C. Attorney General Nikki Sharma is not backing down from comments she made criticizing a judge's recent ruling in a peeping Tom case. She's under fire from two of the country's largest legal bodies for suggesting the judge needs some education. But as Richard Zussman reports, Sharma is getting support from a surprising source. This comment from Attorney General Nikki Sharma getting the attention of the Law Society of B.C. There are no good excuses for being a sexual predator. And I think it's very important that the judges of our province are properly trained to understand a trauma-informed, victim-focused approach to this type of uh, predatory behaviour. The Law Society is sending this sharply worded letter to Sharma earlier this week. It reads, in part, the Law Society of BC is concerned that Sharma's implied criticism of the judge's decision interferes with the independence of the judiciary and the rule of law and may undermine public confidence in the judicial system and the courts. Sharma disagrees. We all need to do the work necessary to make sure that our justice system is responding to these victims in an appropriate way. The original comments were made in reaction to a case reported on by Global News. A man receiving a conditional discharge after pleading guilty to installing a hidden camera in a bathroom used by an international student living in his house. The judge ruling the accused actions were out of character and a marital intimacy deficit contributed to the offending conduct. There's no excuses for sexual violence that are appropriate and we all need to work together to make sure our justice system understands that. Sherman never mentioned the judge by name, both the Law Society and the BC Bar Association turning down interview requests, choosing not to be challenged on their concerns or the judge's decision. Advocates supporting sexual assault victims have jumped to Sharma's defense, and so has a surprising ally, BC United leader Kevin Falcon. I would disagree uh, quite heartily with the judge's uh, de description of how he dealt with that individual. That's an outrageous situation, and we don't want young women being victimized like that with people hiding cameras and having very little consequence. Sharma also says all judges and others in the judicial system should continue to receive training on dealing with sexual assault cases. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. More questions tonight about the investigation into the murder of Hardeep Singh Nijjar in Surrey. As Aaron MacArthur reports, the only real information so far is coming from an American criminal indictment. A murder in broad daylight. Gunmen laying in wait. A waiting getaway car, all captured on surveillance video, yet no arrest, no charges, and no information for the Sikh community. You know, the sense of frustration uh, that uh, perhaps Canada hasn't been able to send out the information the way we, perhaps as Canadian citizens, hoped that our government would. At the centre of an international firestorm, the murder of Hardeep Singh Nijjar. Thank you for joining us today. Has grown to involve not only the Indian government, but other targets in the United States. 
An indictment made public this week linking the death in Surrey to a murder-for-hire plot to kill a New York lawyer believed to be Gurpatwant Singh Panan. You know, Hardeep Singh Nijjar worked with us since 2008. He's the one who was our chief coordinator for Khalistan referendum campaign. It's been a little more than five months since Hardeep Singh Nijjar was killed. And in that time, the RCMP have had almost nothing to say. In a statement Thursday, the RCMP says it does not comment on ongoing or potential investigations. Canada's former top spy believes the U.S. indictment and its references to the Nijjar murder will likely be the most information Canadians will get on this case. My guess is that there probably is very little evidence uh, that, the, that that will be found. My suspicion is that the people who carried out the attack are probably long gone wherever they came from. The community has been looking for answers to basic questions for months and that the information is coming through the U.S. court system makes people uneasy with the Canadian government's handling of this investigation. Uh, it probably puts a bit more pressure on Canada to release some more information as to what evidence are they talking about, just like the United States has. The Indian government continues to accuse Canada of harboring individuals it considers terrorists, but claims it will begin an investigation into what's alleged in the U.S. indictment. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Vancouver police are investigating a bizarre incident where a man was allegedly exposed to fentanyl by a stranger. It happened on Pender Street between Maine and Columbia in Chinatown. The 56-year-old reportedly went into medical distress following a brief encounter with a woman last Wednesday. The man was taken, or sorry, was given naloxone and taken to hospital for treatment of fentanyl poisoning. He reportedly does not use drugs, and police are now trying to figure out how he may have been exposed. Of course, this is very troubling, and it's also very troubling for the community. Uh, we don't have all the answers, uh, but we have our detectives from our major crime section working hard on the case to determine uh, the facts. What happened to this man? What interactions he had? Uh, did the fentanyl enter his system when he was with that woman, or uh, did it happen elsewhere? The man is okay and is now recovering at home. Well, drivers are being warned about major traffic delays as the Vancouver Park Board works to remove more than 160,000 damaged trees in Stanley Park. Travis Prasad is live in the park near Prospect Point, an area that will be particularly hard hit by this tree removal. Terrace, or Travis, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's right, Chris. Uh... There's going to be multiple days of partial and complete closures of the Stanley Park Causeway. The Lionsgate Bridge will be affected as well. These disruptions start this weekend. And uh, as you said, 160,000 dead trees are being removed. That's nearly one out of every four trees in Stanley Park. And all of this is because of an infestation of the hemlock looper moth. The insects have been uh, feeding on Douglas fir, grand fir and hemlock trees in the park. They did that all through the spring. The infestation does happen about every 15 years, but the park board says the drought conditions we've had recently made the trees even more vulnerable to the moths. Tree removal is already underway in the most affected areas, including near the Lionsgate Bridge. The dead trees posing a safety risk to park users. Removing the dead trees is is a good thing uh, for trees that are that can become danger trees, trees that are near the trails, uh, near uh, parking lots, uh, you know, picnic areas. These trees will eventually become danger trees, and and those are the ones uh, you know they, they need to be removed. 
And as a result, there will be traffic disruptions. On December 3rd, 10th and 16th, one lane on the Stanley Park Causeway will be shut down from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m., leaving one lane open in each direction. Pedestrians and cyclists will be detoured through the park. Then on December 17th, from 8 a.m. to 11 a.m., the Causeway and the Lionsgate Bridge will be fully closed to all traffic. There will be similar lane closures in January, with another full bridge and causeway shutdown in late January. Now, the city says 140,000 of the 160,000 trees being removed are actually younger trees, less than 20 centimeters in diameter. If they were to stay in place in the park, they could become fuel for a potential wildfire. The park board is planting new trees to replace all of the dead ones. They say they'll have an update on a long-term plan in the coming months. But in the short term, Chris, expect some disruptions on the causeway and on the Lionsgate Bridge. No doubt. And on the other crossing as well, the iron workers is going to be busy all the same, too. Absolutely. Okay. Travis Prasad reporting from Stanley Park. Thanks very much, Travis. A couple of FedEx employees might be looking for new jobs soon. The disastrous delivery caught on camera and what FedEx says about it next on the NewsHour. All of these have been uh, caught in either a trap or a net. The Mothman of BC and his amazing collection that might be among the best in the world later on the NewsHour. And Canadians who can't seem to get enough of conspiracy theories from the moon landing to COVID. How technology is helping erode the truth a little later. Right now, though, a Surrey man says his recent FedEx delivery went terribly wrong. His home security cameras captured two delivery people dropping a $4,000 bed frame off the truck and then rolling it up his driveway. Angela Jung has the story. This package tossed out of the truck and rolled along the driveway. It's a box. I don't think you roll a box, but they decided to roll them. Walter Jamal says he was home at the time, but no one rang the doorbell. He only heard the commotion. It's very unprofessional. You would think people who deliver stuff would know better uh, because this stuff is paid for. We own it, actually, and they're just delivering it. This box is more than 100 pounds. It's tough for one person to carry. In fact, the box even says it requires two people. And in this case, there was a second person. It's pretty demeaning because uh, I'm sure their families get deliveries and I'm sure they wouldn't want people laughing and saying, well, you know, we delivered this or heavy. It's their problem now. In a statement, a FedEx spokesperson writes, the behavior depicted in the video is unacceptable. We are committed to treating our customers' packages with the utmost care. FedEx says it's reviewing this footage to decide how to address the situation. I wouldn't want to see them fired or anything like that. I don't wish them the worst. Jamal ordered the $4,000 bed from Costco. As you can see, it has a motor, a remote control, so it has uh, mechanical parts and electronic parts. Worried there's now damage, the company will be sending him a new one. But he wasn't prepared well, to wait for another delivery. We sold our uh, bed and bed frame, and uh, now we put the mattress down and my wife and I are just sleeping on, on, on the floor. Jamal has this message <coughs> to the delivery workers. There's a lesson to be learned, and uh, it doesn't matter what job you do. You take pride in what you do. At the end of the day, you get paid for it, and, you know, you should be acting in a professional manner. A lesson for us all, especially when someone could be watching.
Angela Jung, Global News. Coming up, a shocking collapse at a local construction site. Holy The project they'll have to put on hold for a while. Tis the season for winter maintenance over at the Portman Bridge, so expect delays for westbound traffic in the HOV lane until 5 o'clock tomorrow morning. At Silver Star Mountain, discounted four-pack passes are on sale only until November 30th. Valid any four days, no blackouts. Book at skisilverstar.com. Supernatural British Columbia. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Centre. In Consumer Matters tonight, an example of how good intentions can go bad in the transition to electric vehicles. A man who bought a plug-in hybrid was shocked to find out battery repairs would cost him more than half what he paid for the whole car. Andrea is here with more. And Thanks, Chris. When Peter Burachak purchased his plug-in hybrid, he says he loved his car, but the relationship with his vehicle soured after being quoted thousands of dollars for an electric battery replacement. He says all that money he saved by avoiding the gas station had been all for naught. Peter Burachak says when he purchased his plug-in hybrid electric vehicle, he thought he was being a good steward of the environment. Back in 2017, the Kelowna resident purchased a brand new 2018 Hyundai Ioniq plug-in hybrid. He says he was saving about $300 a month on his gas bill, but this past September, the engine light on his hybrid came on while driving and it would prove to be a costly fix. The Hyundai dealership told Peter his electric battery would need to be replaced. So I got a quote the next day for $15,272 not including labor. Peter says he purchased the vehicle for around $30,000. What's worse, he says, the car had 190,000 kilometers on it, which meant it wasn't covered under warranty. How is it even statistically possible that one component of a vehicle can be worth almost as much as the vehicle? Peter says at the time he received little to no help from Hyundai Canada to help pay for the repair. I feel like you get kicked in the teeth. He's not alone. Recently, Global's Sean O'Shea interviewed another Hyundai EV owner in Ontario who was initially told by a Hyundai dealer it would cost more than $50,000 to install a new battery for his 2017 Ionic all-electric vehicle. That also included the installation and taxes. I felt like I got kicked in the private. When it comes to replacing EV batteries, car experts say consumers should be aware of the costs. From what we've seen on average, reasonable to expect to replace a battery at a cost anywhere from fifteen to 25000 for most of the more popular electric vehicles. Consumer Matters reached out to Hyundai Canada on Peter's behalf about the cost of his battery, and in a statement we were told, Mr. Burrowchak's vehicle has surpassed the 160,000-kilometer warranty limit by more than 30,000 kilometers, which is why the initial warranty claim was not approved. However, our consumer relations team remains committed to working with him. Peter says he's since been told Hyundai Canada will cover the cost of the battery and honor the warranty. I can't thank Consumer Matters enough for stepping in and helping me and going to bat for me. 
And we are glad we could help. Now, Hyundai Canada also told Consumer Matters, quote, battery replacements after a warranty expires are rare, but we recognize battery costs represent a challenge for our customers as well as the industry. Hyundai is currently prioritizing the development of new processes to provide more cost-effective solutions to EV customers coming out of warranty. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. Good work. Thanks very much, Ann. And coming up, big changes are coming to Langley. Uh, I remember coming here when I had my driver's license. I was 16 years old. With the white spot closing down, locals debate the towering development that will replace it. Plus, there's a lot of power in our breath. How BC is leading the way with a revolutionary test to detect lung cancer sooner. Steady both ways at the Patello Bridge tonight, but slow on McBride due to an earlier incident southbound at 6th Avenue. At Silver Star Mountain, discounted four-pack passes are on sale only until November 30th. Valid any four days. No blackouts. Book at SkiSilverStar.com. Super natural British Columbia. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. With SkyTrain about to pull in, the once rural community of Langley is set to undergo some major changes. But as Janet Brown reports... Some are worried huge condo towers and other developments won't work without infrastructure upgrades. With SkyTrain being built out to Langley, the landscape in the Willowbrook area is about to change in a big way. I remember coming here when I had my driver's license. I was 16 years old. This white spot at Willowbrook is set to close December 30th. This location is going to be the site for a SkyTrain station. Right now, the white spot says they have no other plans for any other location nearby, and they are sorry to lose this site. Progress in some ways, yeah. <laughs> and not far from the white spot, and across from the Willowbrook Mall, a proposal for up to seven towers, some up to 44 stories. I think that's something we're gonna, council's gonna have to look at with the staff. Mayor Eric Woodward says council needs to consider if the township is growing too quickly. We're pushing for new school construction, highway expansion, and all kinds of other things from the province that we need to see in order to justify continuing to have this kind of growth level. The provincial government recently put forward new legislation allowing for more density around rapid transit hubs. I have concerns, obviously. Community advocate Brad Rickard is hoping infrastructure can keep up with all the new development. We have a habit in the township of Langley of putting urban type density on the suburban network, on the suburban streets. And so we have a lot of arterial roads that get congested. Whether the towers are built or not, one thing is certain, SkyTrain to Langley is happening with construction set to begin next year. It's very good that SkyTrain is coming to Langley and it will be very easy for the community. That's definite, yes, I'll be very happy to see it. SkyTrain to Langley City Centre from the King George Station in Surrey is expected to be running by late 2028. Janet Brown, Global News. In Health Matters tonight, researchers at BC Cancer are hoping to use artificial intelligence to perfect a groundbreaking new test for lung cancer. As Cassidy Moscone reports, they say the test would be easy, non-invasive, and could potentially save millions of lives. Malakosh has been living with stage four lung cancer for nine years. You received your diagnosis 
on your 60th birthday? On my 60th birthday, so I was told I had stage four lung cancer in a small office, you know, like people tell you. This birthday was really positive for me because I realized that I'm probably gonna hit 70. The grandmother responded well to treatment. She's one of the lucky ones. Lung cancer is actually the number one cancer killer of Canadians and the number one cancer killer globally. So it is actually more prevalent than colon, breast and prostate put together. Doctors say the key to beat this disease, early detection. The five-year survival rate for stage one lung cancer is 62%. It plummets to just 3% in a stage four patient. Welcome to the Breathomics Lab. A group of BC cancer researchers are harnessing the power of breath and artificial intelligence to create a revolutionary new detection tool. When a person exhales, we actually exhale over a thousand volatile organic compounds. And these are the, the endpoints of all the metabolic processes that are happening in our body and they change depending on states of health or states of disease. So there's a lot of power in our breath. So the potential is enormous. The test is still in its clinical trial phase. It's hoped one day it will be available across Canada, even worldwide. And this lab here in BC is looking for participants. I think it's amazing the breakthroughs they're coming up with. I mean, had I been diagnosed earlier, I could have been cured. You know, really that simple. Cassidy Moscone, Global News. And earlier this year, BC Cancer launched Canada's first province-wide lung cancer screening program. To date, the program has confirmed 66 cancers, all of them found in patients who did not have symptoms. More than 70% were in early stage one or two with much higher survival rates, and only 11% were in stage four. Coming up, separating fact from fiction. Since the advent of COVID, we, we saw a tremendous leap in the belief in conspiracy theories. A new poll shows some proof that Canadians can be pretty gullible. And later in sports, how hard work is paying off for Canuck Nils Hoaglander. A retaining wall failed in spectacular fashion at the construction site for a Coquitlam condo tower. The moment of the collapse yesterday afternoon was captured on video. That video is now part of the investigation into what went wrong. A large part of the four-story shoring wall gave way with tons of soil falling into the pit. Luckily, no one was injured. The 44-story high-rise is being built by developer Amicon, and Coquitlam Mayor Richard Stewart says he was shocked by the video. That stuff that isn't supposed to happen, and for it to happen on a site here in Coquitlam, we had lots of questions. I had lots of questions for Amicon, for the developer find out what's going on and who the geotech was and let's find out who the engineering essentially let's figure out what happened and make sure that that will never happen again WorkSafe bc is investigating the collapse while work has been underway all day to try to reinforce that area all right we'll check in on weather now christy is with us and uh, there might be some snow falling although too soon to say if it'll be a white christmas 
Oh, yeah. Way too soon to say that. That's for sure. But you were talking about getting a snow shovel out. And it's definitely that time to start thinking about those types of things, everyone. So get prepared. Tonight, we do have the possibility of some wet snow, slushy conditions over higher elevations. Here's a look. So with rainfall shifting in through the overnight period, temperatures are going to drop to about two degrees over lower elevations. So that means a freezing level around two, three hundred meters. And that means a possibility of snow in these areas. So we're talking about the upper levels of the North Shore over towards Coquitlam and Maple Ridge. Again, it's wet snow that we're talking about, and so that doesn't accumulate too much, but it can be slippery on the roads. Not much expected across the lower elevation areas, and generally through the day tomorrow, we're talking about rainfall. It is going to be a stormy period, though I want to give everyone the heads up. So for those of you in the interior, tomorrow, just a few flurries expected, but this is Saturday. Yes, we're expecting snowfall for your region as a more major shift system shifts in Friday night into Saturday. That will impact the south coast, but mainly just as rainfall. It's actually going to be a bit milder over the weekend. As we head into the next few days, though, yes, it's an onslaught of a series of systems with the potential for an atmospheric river on Tuesday. So get ready for wet, windy conditions and very wet conditions on Tuesday. In the meantime, happy Friday into your Friday. We're expecting cloud and just a chance of a flurry for our region. Wet snow possible over the highest elevations overnight, but otherwise rain in the morning, a little drier in the, in the midday and then rain shifting back in in the afternoon. Again, Friday night will be rather stormy, so into uh, Saturday morning as well with periods of rain. But Saturday, I think for the most part, looks dry. Very wet, though, on Sunday. Here's tonight's central windows weather window. This is as the front was shifting in tomorrow. Looks so ominous, doesn't it? That is the big change in the weather pattern that occurred. Start Well, for, for the south coast, it was uh, yesterday, and for the interior regions, it started today. All right, Chris, back to you. That looks so cool. Thanks very much to Sandra for sending that in. And thank you, Christy. Okay, a new poll conducted by Leger has some unsettling findings. A lot of Canadians are falling prey to conspiracy theories, with about 80% of those polled believing in at least one. Paul Johnson has the details. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. According to new research, about 1 in 10 Canadians believe Neil Armstrong's famous step down was actually a giant leap in deception. Add to that the more recent belief that COVID was developed as a bioweapon and its sister falsehood that governments are covering up dangers about the vaccine. About a third of Canadians appear to believe in both of those things. Since the advent of COVID, we, we saw a tremendous leap in the belief in conspiracy theories. Steve Mossop's latest Leger poll turned up staggering levels of belief in things that either aren't supported by evidence or are just plain wrong. Take the assassination of President Kennedy, the classic rock of conspiracy theories. Leger found 36% of Canadians believe it was a cover-up. Similar for the death of Princess Diana. 34% told Leger they have it on good authority that Diana's death was not accidental. You are fake news. Sir, go ahead. You... And since you're watching this on the news, you ought to know that a whopping 55% of Canadians now believe the mainstream media manipulates the information it puts out. With COVID and with President Trump calling fake news, there's been this erosion of trust, uh, uh, the perception of media, not only in our country, but in the USA as well. So what's driving the tendency to believe in chemtrails or a flat earth? 
especially in an age when it's never been easier to get information. Mossop suspects the single biggest driver is the way social media algorithms work to reinforce what you know or what you think you know. Every time you turn on your phone and look at something for, for fun, it's reinforcing what you currently believe and takes you even further. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. Two guys keeping it real right here on the news hour, me and Squire Barnes. That's right. Squire yes. Barnes and I. The Squire Earth Barnes is round. and me. What's the correct grammar there? I don't really know. <laughs> I know what you meant. That's yeah. the important thing. And That's so good. did everybody else. Uh, Vanny gets his punishment. And the Canucks get a punisher. Yes, Vancouver's acquired defenseman Nikita Zadorov from Calgary, who has more hits than Taylor Swift. <laughs> and that's a good thing. Also coming up. The elusive moth catcher is going The BC man at home in the bush, amassing an amazing collection of moths. Untangling Whoa. a microphone wire. Look how short I look to you, and in actual fact, I'm the same size as you. Okay, you ready? That's why we adjust the chairs. Yeah, thank God for that. <laughs> uh, all right. <laughs> the uh, trading of Anthony Beauvillier to Chicago was the starting point for another trade that happened today for the Canucks, and it's a good one for Vancouver. They get defenseman Nikita Zadorov from Calgary for the fifth-round pick they got for Beauvillier and a third-round pick in 2026. Now, Zadorov wanted out of Calgary, and he's on the final year of his contract. By, but getting him early is a lot better than getting him at the trade deadline. It gives him more time to assimilate in Vancouver. And what he gives the Canucks is size. He's 6'6", and he's a guy who uses that size a lot. He's a one-man wrecking crew. Here are some examples from his career. He will be a Canucks fan favorite the moment he does that in a Vancouver uniform. The Canucks are Zadorov's fifth team, but wherever he plays, he starts mowing down guys like he's Master Chief from Halo. And these are like video game hits. Players are launched into the air. Now, he can be an adventure defensively at times, but he'll make the Canucks zone rather dangerous. It'll be a danger zone for the opposition. Yeah. Talk, it'll keep playing well. That's right. Uh, he won't play tonight. Uh, the Canucks are getting a chance to see this evening if they can go the distance with the champs. Vegas is in town, uh, where the winner gets first place in the Pacific. The Canucks will have Mark Friedman back on defense as they sent Cole McWard down to the minors, probably because of the Zororov trade as well. After uh, playing some lesser lights in their division lately, this is a big test for Vancouver. Rick Talkin is just as eager to see if his guys pass the test as we all are. For me, it's, um, it's kind of fun. You know, there's a, whether it's, I don't know, first place on the line little things like that motivate you uh, a lot of games left I mean it's not, I don't think it defines either team the result but I think the reaction of our players against this team to see how we play against them is something that we're, we're all looking for to see because um, you know they got four lines 60 I know they got a couple of D are banged up but they still don't miss a beat Vanny Sartini was right to complain about the officiating in Vancouver's final playoff game against LAFC. But 
It's the way he did it that got him a $20,000 fine and a six-game suspension for next season. Running onto the field was bad. Getting a red card, getting kicked out of the game, only to come back on the field after the game, that was also bad. But worst of all was making a joke about the referee floating face down in False Creek. That's the one that really got the league's attention. Vanny was also told he has to complete a behavioral assessment and comply with any treatment he might require. Now, if that happens, I'm thinking they might reduce the suspension by a few games. Now, this means he can run the Whitecats practices like normal, but he wouldn't be able to be on the sidelines when he's suspended, obviously. Now, Vanny wasn't the only one fined. Eight players were hit and two assistant coaches were fined as well, and the Whitecaps are not going to appeal. Appeal, let's make that. Cowboys, Seahawks. Seahawks go with the old style. 70s uniforms. And how about this? DK! 73-yard touchdown catch from Geno Smith. DK Metcalf. That gives the Seahawks a 7-3 lead in the first quarter. But C.D. Lamb will answer for Dallas and watch Pete Carroll's reaction. Uh, darn it! Don't see him throw the headphones very often. Anyways, 2014 for Dallas late in the second quarter. And look who's back. First time in 225 days we've seen Tiger Woods in a golf tournament. This is the Hero Challenge, which is his tournament, where he invites his close friends to come down and play some golf. And this is a long birdie putt. Old school for a Tiger. But this is a bad tee shot. And you can see where this ball ends up in a second. And this would end up being a seven. Ooh. Three over par after 18. Brian Harmon, Tony Finau lead at five under. He's golfing like us now on some holes. Some holes. Yeah. Thanks, Squire. We're back after this with uh, a guy finding a hobby after hockey that still involves a net. We'll tell you more next. <laughs> this is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. Former hockey player Dave Holden has found a new life after the game as a survey biologist. His goal now is amassing a vast collection of something most of us don't ever want to find in the house. Jay Durant introduces us to the Mothman in This Is BC. The elusive moth catcher is going through. With some mockumentary narration from his wife and friend. As he hovers above the ground. Dave Holden's on the hunt again. Another excursion through remote BC for his favorite hobby. One of the largest in BC with, with wingspan. The big poplar sphinx moth. A bit of a departure from coins, comic books, or ceramic plates. For the past 17 years, Holden has traveled all around building a massive moth collection. Over 25,000. So, yeah, it's a lot. There is some research involved for the survey biologist. Do some DNA extraction and and it will give you a barcode. But this is really a passion project he picked up along the way. All my holidays, all my after hours, weekends. 
a path he never could have anticipated in his youth. This is actually when we were in Lethbridge. Hockey seemed like a pretty good calling at the time, playing at a high level alongside Joe Sackick in Burnaby. We ended up going to the Canadian Nationals. Unfortunately, we didn't win. Got kind of hosed on that one because they had to fly us over to Moncton. We had to play like 6 o'clock in the morning. And this is just a, a snapshot of some of the, what are called the Sphingidae. I had no idea what I was going to do up until I actually stepped into my job, probably. By all accounts, it's one of the most complete collections of its kind anywhere. You want to go to work and enjoy what you do, and working with bugs all day is pretty fantastic. Holden figures he has another 30% to go to get every BC specimen, which means family vacations will involve more trips to far off parts of the province. My wife isn't always happy because every time I'm on holidays, I, uh, <laughs> I have to bring a, a trap with me and lights and deal with all the specimens. There's still big holes I haven't even been to. I've barely been in the Kootenays. I've barely been in the Northwest. I had to set my limits uh, for just British Columbia and that in itself is massive. It's behind him. Oh. No, it's a bee. It's, oh. it's a bee. It's a bee. Oh. As he scratches his head in thought. Jay Durant, Global News. Poking some fun at him. But that's an amazing collection. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell and you want to share it with all of us, please email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. That looper moth causing all kinds of problems in Stanley Park. I don't what know. About, if, what about mm. Mothra? Mothra, that's a big one. His house is not big enough yeah. for Mothra. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Christy, last word on weather before we go. Sure. So don't be surprised if you see a little wet snow overnight tonight. We'll see rainfall in the morning Friday changing over to drier conditions midday before rain returns Friday. Overall, everyone, expect a lot of rain over the next little while, except a little drier on Saturday and lots of snow in the mountains, which is great. Start thinking about Finally. those snow tires. Yeah, if you haven't already, it's getting close to snow tire season for sure. Thanks very much, everybody. Have a great weekend. I'm not here tomorrow. That's why I'm saying that. And uh, we'll talk to you later. Okay? Oh, I'm good. I'm good.